0: We're going to do things a little different today, and I have to warn you up front, because I know uh, I'm a creature of of habit, so when there's any change in the room, I start to panic, uh, especially when I have uh, three small children, because I know when we change the uh, routine, all three of my children are going to have a small panic attack, and the first one's probably going to be me. Thank you, Justin. Um, Now, I want you to know, uh, we are not doing communion right now, but it's going to happen, okay? So just be patient. All right, just be patient. It's going to happen, and it's intentional, and you'll understand why by the end, okay? So just, just know that. We'll get the Paul Harvey, Steve Harvey, the rest of the story later. Some of you will get that. Now, I want to make it clear, um, we, are, we are doing this thing on October 6th called the Vision Night, and I know some of you have heard about this, some of you have maybe seen me even talk about it the last few weeks. I want to make sure that it's clear that you are invited Kingsway in the next five years or the vision of where we're going. And the, the hope of this night is, is not to, uh, by the end of this, everybody walk out with like this step by step. Oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the hope of this night is actually not the details. The hope of this is the momentum and the passion and the unity that comes out of this. Um, there, there is something about having a group of people in the room that you know are ready to go and are with you. And that's what this night's about. It's about going, hey, this is where we're going. This is what we're about. This is what God is calling us to. This is going to be our vision, our focus for the next five years. And we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. Now, if you make plans to come here, it's just a small refreshment. We'll have some childcare, But it's just going to be one of those nights that I think by the end, you know, 30, 45 minutes, you'll, you'll go, okay. And there'll be a little Q&A if there's some clarity that needs to be made. But I want you to know this is something that you're invited to to come and kind of join in, in that next momentum, that next passion, that next kind of focus and direction at Kingsway. So make plans, make plans, come and be a part of that. We're continuing our John series uh, this morning. And uh, it's signs and, signs and Wonders is kind of the selection we're in right now. And this is kind of a neat section that we've been diving in over the last few weeks. We, we've kind of hit a couple, call them, uh, you know, we've had a couple things happen. We had a royal priest's son uh, get healed without Jesus moving. We had a, an invalid cripple guy last week get, get healed by a pool and not even know who Jesus is. And by the end of it, you kind of put the pieces together and kind of go, yeah, you probably should have remembered his name, at least. You know, that didn't happen until later. Um, and, and really, today, we're continuing the conversation because this, this book of John is intoxicatingly fun to study. And I hope some of you are reading it and kind of coming with, like, some ideas and some questions. I've got my keys in my pocket. Look at me. I'm ADD already. And I hope you're coming with some of the some questions and ideas that you've been reading because this book has more to offer than you know from your preschool childhood days or some early childhood questions or thoughts or maybe even just John 3.16 is the only thing you're aware of, John. And, and I know that what I've been challenging you to do, especially in this section over the last few weeks, is to sit with things that you're very aware of and very comfortable with and look at them again. Make sure that you're not ignoring them. Make sure that you're not just brushing by it because you've held it a thousand times. Um, And and I know for some of you, this has been really, really, really good. I've had some really good feedback because what God is doing is you're seeing that His word is deeper. It's deeper than just that one perspective that you had 10 years ago or five years ago or 40 years ago and that He's not done with you and that He's still working in your life and, and He wants to continue to bring fullness to you, and, and today's story, I'll just be honest, it, it's one of those, like, like, you've heard this a thousand times, like, even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you're very aware that Jesus fed 5,000 people with some fish and bread, alright, you're very aware that that happened, and so... Even when I say that, like, you're immediately like, duh, like, you know, like, okay, here we go. And, and maybe, I know, maybe that's an over-exaggeration, but some of you are like, okay, cool, so I can, like, half pay attention. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. So I'm going to start with math, okay? And some of you are like, that doesn't help, <laughs> all right? But that's okay. I, I, I want to teach you something about math, and this is just an open illustration. So how many of you guys use math that you learned in school in your daily life? Kids, don't look. Don't look. This is going to be very discouraging. How many of you guys have never used algebra outside of like 8th or ninth grade? Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're just getting depressing already. All right. Now, here's here's the crazy thing about math is most of us recognize if we, we have any kind of brain that math is not necessarily fully translating into every career, all right? If you're a farmer or a welder, there's some ratio stuff, you know, that you need to know, all right? There's some certain math that you need to be aware of, but we're not, like, dividing decibels on the regular, you know? And we're not finding the roots of anything crazy and dividing that root by apples with Johnny and Jim who came with four, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not doing any of that stuff, but what I want to tell you is, Math is not about the details. Math is about something greater, and maybe this is something new for you neurologically, but math is about problem solving. There's a ton of research that's been done on this. Math is actually a neuroscience way of teaching you how to problem solve. It has nothing to do with the numbers. It has everything with doing what you're hoping you'll be able to do later in a business decision with math. You have to take certain things, certain principles, certain information, and you have to make accurate assessments, and you can't know the answer at the beginning, and you have to do work to get to the answer. And math literally programs your brain to learn how to do that at a high level because it's challenging. You start with something, you have no idea what it is, and by the end, you come up with an answer, and it trains your brain on how to do that. That's why math is so important from a young age to, a, to, to when you graduate in high school, because all along that, your brain is growing exponentially, and it needs this part to be developed in the background. So anytime your kid complains, <laughs> or anytime you complain, just look at him and go, look at you're gonna need some problem-solving skills. I've seen you in real life. This is good practice. All right, you need some street sense, you need some common sense. We're gonna start with math. All right, because that's what math does. All right, if you leave with nothing else today, you've at least learned why math is important. Now, why in the world would I take the time to explain math and help you understand why it's important neurologically? Because I don't think feeding the 5,000 is about the numbers. I don't think it's about the numbers. And, and I know for a lot of us, you're like, come on, how can it not be about the numbers? I mean, 5,000 people, that's a lot of people. It's just be like, Ooh, yeah, we got it all. I mean, just think about this room alone. If I walked up here with a pack of crackers and everybody left with their own pack of crackers and I did just had one. like You guys would be like, that's crazy math. But maybe it's about what's really going on behind the scenes and what's really being taught to the heart about a larger problem. With that, let's jump into chapter 6. Sometime after this, this is after he just... Got done laying out why he is in abundance because his grace and power and sovereignty is for sure. It's one of the largest red letter sections. You can go back and read it if you want. This is John putting the next bullet for you to pause and look at. And sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Siberias. Now, the cool thing about the details in this is that the people that read this originally would know exactly where that's at. You and I don't. Let's just imagine this Lake of the Ozark, so you know, oh, oh, okay, it's Lake of the Ozark. That's where that's at. So at its point, you know, it's distracting for us, but it was helpful and detail-oriented for them. Make sense? It's a real place. And a great crowd of people followed him because they knew he was the Son of God, and they were amazed. Wait, no. Because they saw the signs... He had performed by healing the sick. Motives are important here. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, this is important because I told you over the next four chapters, John is going to go after these four large Jewish kind of festivals. And the first one we talked about was the Sabbath. This is going to be about the Passover. Keep that in mind. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, wouldn't you like to be Philip in this scenario? Just watch this. He you know, just turns to you, you know, large crowd. All right. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? <laughs> Philip's like, oh, snaps. <laughs> and then we get the real nuts to the bolts of that question. He asked this only to do. Don't you hate when the teacher asks the question you know, He already knows the answer to and he's waiting for you to get it? What's well, the answer? Huh? huh? And it's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, some of you are like, I feel like Philip all the time, right? (laughs) This is me, I'm Philip, that's it, yep. Philip's got an answer, though, all right? Philip's got an answer. Might deflect a little, but we'll see. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Jesus, I got one pack of crackers, right? (laughs) What are we going to do? Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, details again, are about the importance of being able to backtrack this. It's pretty cool. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will this go? I love just like the the dramatic version, this, among so many, right? Like he's just presenting this as this wise person that at least has something to offer, more than Philip, who has evidently no money, right? So Jesus responds, have the people sit down, and I love this little little thing in here, when you know that Jesus is going to be talking about, He's the Good Shepherd. Just a little here, it's just a cool little paraphrase here. There was plenty of grass in that place. This is a desert land, all right. So when this is, I have to sit on a rock. Well, that's nice. Kind of picked out for us. And they sat down, and there's about five thousand men were there. It's a very important key. We're going to get back to that. In a second, because the only people they valued in this time were men. They had a lot of work to do. All right? So we'll get back to it. Jesus then took the loaves and, this is key, he gave thanks. Wasn't even close to what he needed. But he still recognized it would be more than he had before. More than he would have without it. And then he distributed it to the ones that are seated as they want it. And he did the same with the fish. When they all eat enough, uh, I don't know how much that is, you know, enough to eat. But this is a time period when, you know, food is, food is more for survival than it is for pleasure. If that make sense? So if they get food in front of them and it's free, it's even more like free pizza around here. You know what I'm saying? Like free pizza tastes better than any pizza, right? It just does. I don't know how it works. This is t- ten times, thousand times that. Like free food in a time where you're literally working to feed yourself is seen as even a greater gift. And he said to the disciples after this, gather the pieces that are left over. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you imagine that instruction? They're The Oh, uh, Dude, we started with five and t- two, t- two. I'm sorry. What? Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just make sure you get them. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, and they filled 12 baskets. Where'd they get the baskets? I don't know. They had them. They gathered 12 baskets, the pieces of five barley loaves, left over by those that had eaten. And after the people saw this, I wonder how long it took. You know, can we just talk about that for a second? How long did it take before they realized it was a miracle? Like, are they looking for the wagon? Are they looking for like the giant source of this or are they just kind of like a there's like a stream of bread flowing from somewhere up there. And I have no <laughs> Is there a cave? Like where where is this coming from? But once they were, once they saw it was the sign Jesus performed they began to say surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Ooh and there's just this ooh, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, king, not lord. Keep that in mind. Would drew again to a mountain by himself. Now, what do I want to draw on here? This is just a minute. I want to draw in on this thought of a test. I mean, let's just pretend that we're Philip, okay? If this is a question that if we're walking with Jesus and we're staring at something that's beyond our means to meet, it's beyond what we can do, beyond what we think is possible. But yet somehow we're in it, you know, like we're in it, and then we get tested. I just want to use this as kind of a criteria. Let's just look at four little things out of this section. The first part of the test is, all these people. All right, now, I put the 12,000 up there because that's more like what it was once we add in the women and children because they weren't counted. All right? So it's probably more like 12. There's actually evidence to show that more women followed Jesus than men at first because Jesus gave them equal status of identity and value. That's like totally crazy at that time where he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah no. Daughter, son, both kin, Crazy. So there's probably even more women, and there's definitely children there. There's 12,000, so that's part of the test. All right? Now, the second one is, uh, what do they need? They need the food, right? Or do they need more than the food? Right? Like, I mean, this is it's part of that, like, hey, one bite is going to cost $14,500. 200 denarius is what my Bible says, which is like $14,500 to provide a bite. For these people. I don't know if you just carry that around as pocket change. You know, she's like, hey, go buy some food for these guys. Yeah, got it. Briefcase, you know. It's a test. Maybe Philip's thinking about all the things he's already seen Jesus do. Maybe he's thinking about these people need more than bread. Maybe I'm supposed to be starting to like over-spiritualize things, you know, start to get, get it, maybe? That maybe that's part of the test. Third one here. Can we provide it? I mean, that's, that's what I just said, but I, I'm thinking money. I'm just thinking money. I'm starting to think, who can I sell, right? Who can I sell? What can I sell? How can I get the money? I'm wondering if Jesus has got a plan for the money, and he's testing me to say the riches, because they're going to make him king at the end, which means he's got access to kingly things. So he's starting to think maybe this is a business decision. Maybe this is an opportunity where we go to everybody in the crowd and we say this. Okay, we need two denarii from everybody, right? You start asking for that. By right the end of it, you're like, Jesus, look what I did. That's maybe that's part of the test. It's a big one. Will they believe? Whew. maybe that's a part of this test. I mean, we know now with the sight of the end of chapter 21 that that's why John's recording this, why Jesus is obviously bringing about this for belief. But who they believe in is this guy named Elisha. That's the guy that in Kings, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4 provided 100 people with 20 loaves of barley. And he did a kind of a similar thing for 100 people. And so when it says at the end, like, hey, he, he's a prophet, come. Like, they're assuming he's like Elisha that he's doing something amazing, and that God's with him. But they don't see him as Messiah. That'd be different. Let me give you a thought of how maybe some of our answers might sound, but not be completely fulfilling to this test. Right? Jesus asks you for some things in your life, and you ask for God's involvement in them, but miss the fullness of the provision. I'd love for you to be a part of this five thousand problem, but don't see the fullness of what really Jesus is offering. Just get a couple of bites and a full belly at the. Maybe your answer would sound more like this: uh, You ask God to play a role, but you, meanwhile, remain the main character. You and I remain. Uh, this is uh, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warman. It's one of the famous great you know, bestsellers. The first line of the book always just, it's like the best part. It's not about you. It's the first line of the book. And the quicker you figure that out through the book, that's, that's it. The, the best life, your purpose, your full life, it's just never going to be about you. So the faster you can get your life that way, the better it's going to be. And Meanwhile, this is what's our answer to the test, right? Got a a spot for you, got a role for you to play in my life on this day in this way. Meanwhile, the full play is going on and you're the main character. How about this one? Uh, Invite God into our dreams, wants and desires, but miss the invitation from God to join into his. I would have loved to see maybe Philip just flip the question. Right, and just like, just like, do what Jesus does. Like he's like, hey, how are we going to provide all this? And he's like, God, I'm with you because I know you're the provider. Whoa, right? Like Jesus is like, touche. How how often do we do this though? Right, man. This is this is the one that I feel like I answer all the time. I dream big. I want God to do great things. I ask him to be a part of some amazing things. And then I forget that he's got like, you know, a masterpiece going for like a couple thousand years. And that I kind of just came into the middle of the story and now I'm trying to declare it's all mine. And I kind of do this thing where like all of a sudden something works out even better than I hoped or imagined. And I'm like, wow, I'm good. And God's up there going, dude, you're an idiot. You just got in the stream of my vision, my plan, my dream, and it felt real good for a second because like you and I lined up, but then as soon as you step out on your own, guess what? You start asking God to come over here, and the whole time he's going, yeah, that looks good, but over here, buddy, this is where full life is. Maybe that's part of this test. Now, we're going to skip over next week's sermon, so you have to give me grace here because next week's sermon is really good, and you will not want to miss it. If you have ever been scared, fearful, or worried about overwhelming circumstances in your life, next week's for you. It's just for you. But Jesus gives us the answer to the test. And it's no different than what we've heard before, but it's very specific. As a group of people to never follow Jesus again, terrifying. Because Jesus is going to lay out in the end of chapter 6 exactly why he's using bread and exactly why he's putting them in a green place and exactly why he's standing in front of them with extra abundance, more than they need, coming from nowhere else, no other source than from him. John chapter 6, verse 32 through 36, this is what Jesus says talking about this miracle. It's very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven talking about the Israelites wandering in the desert in Exodus. Manna. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen and you still do not. You feel that? You feel the weight of that? These guys are on the edge of their seats. They are waiting for the secret code handshake answer, right? I am in. Let's do this. Let's go. What is it? And Jesus is like, I am. Now, what's even crazier than this, I could take you back to when the law, the Ten Commandments are given, but I could take you back to even before that, when Moses is in front of a burning bush, and he's going to Pharaoh to get the people free, and God gives him a name. You remember what the name is? And Moses is like, hey, who should I tell Pharaoh is, is telling you, you know, to, to let them? And he's like, I am. Moses is like, I'm sorry, you didn't finish the sentence. You to finish that. I got the I am part, but then our connection broke. You know, FaceTime kind of stuttered. I need you to say it again. And he's like, no, 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 that's it, I am. I am the I am. All that's ever existed, all that will be, all that is in life, all that is in this world, all that is in you and me, I am the sovereign. I am God. I am. And what he's connecting in this text is he's saying, we like to to think that because bread comes from grain that we crushed and that we made, that you made it. You like to think of the life. And Jesus is going, you got it all wrong. I want you to trade out the feeding of the 5,000 with just one little thing. I think this will help us connect this. Because we're not the Israelites. We didn't wander around in the desert. We didn't have meals provided for us every day for 40 years. That we would get the connection of bread real quick. Like we're like, oh yeah, bread. That sounds delicious for lunch, along with a thousand other things that I have access to. No, no, no. This is like much bigger than that. So let's just use a different one. You ready? Five thousand people are on the edge of Mars, and they're standing without anything covering them, and they have no oxygen to breathe. And Jesus turns to Philip and he goes, "Hey, why don't you provide these people some oxygen?" And Philip goes. <laughs> I don't have time to fly back to earth. Package that all up and then get back here, Jesus, before everyone's dead. And Jesus is like, you silly little man, why don't you ask the one that created it, who's standing right next to you, that could in an instant, boom, breathe. And our lungs would be filled. No oxygen would exist out here, but all of a sudden, for some crazy way, the pressure equalizes Everything's fine. And we can breathe in an environment that we were never meant to survive in. But life is there. I am that life. Get it now? But you know, they don't believe. They're missing it. So he says it one more time at the end of this section. And anytime he says very truly, all right, you see that in the John. You need to focus in when Jesus says that, because he's basically saying true, true. All right, this is true, true. Not just true, very true, true, true. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day my flesh is real food my blood is real drink whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and i in them just as the father Living Father has sent me. I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on the bread will live forever. You feel the weight of this all of a sudden? This is an attack. This is a provision. This is a prophetic word on the Passover. And I know you and I are not Jewish at the core, but I'm telling you, this Passover idea, he's near to it. He is speaking the language of the angel of the death who was the last sign to the Pharaoh in Egypt that all the firstborns, all the heritage, all the the further generations, no life would go on. No one's name would continue. They would be wiped out unless an innocent, blameless, Life was torn from a lamb. His flesh was ripped, and his blood was smeared on the door for repayment, for penance, for the sins. And this is that language. Just as every Israelite that did that walked out of their home with no death and only life, So Jesus stands in front of these people and goes, I am that to you. I am that to you. I am the key to life, and I am the very air and the very blood running through your veins. And you can eat all your fill, and you'll die. Or you can eat and drink deeply and live. So here's the real test answer. So don't want to ask for bread and miss full life. But we don't want to ask for some momentary need, some momentary struggle or urge and miss full life. We don't want to do it. So now we're going to take communion. You know why we're going to take communion? Because this is what it's all about. When you take that piece of bread and you take that juice, you are literally saying, air, life itself, provided by my Savior. Body broken on the cross, blood spread like an innocent lamb, the gates of heaven are now open to me. The mercy flows from my Savior. Not a prophet, not a wise teacher, but a God who came to give everything so that you and I could live. So when you take this bread this morning, breathe deeply, breathe deeply. When you drink of this cup, remember the cost that is that breath. And at the end, surrender to your desires or hungers or pains surrender to the grace that is the new breath of life the new salvation the new hope the full life that is offered to you